This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. Hey, I'm on the road today in East Cobb with my former colleague, Stan Wise, and it is great to sit down with him and visit. He's with the Pendleton Group now. Stan, thanks for being on Energy Matters. Thank you, Commissioner. Glad to be with you. Stan, I mean, you and I sat next to each other forever up there on that bench, and you know, you were you were there way before I got there. And I mean, you got elected in 1994. Uh, you know, when Newt Gingrich came in with the Contract for America. Tell me about that initial election cycle and what it was like. It was extraordinary. And clearly, I I, I credit Newt Gingrich and the contract with America and the rising ship that Guy Milner brought to the election campaign to raise election focus, voter turnout. Uh, And I am convinced that uh, that helped me win. I won by a a very small margin, one half of one percent over an incumbent. Didn't know till early the next day that I had actually won when the secretary of state confirmed those numbers. But Newt Gingrich helped me personally, helped me with fundraisers. uh, And I owe a great deal to, to the message that Newt had and the contract with America. And I know there's there's many people that demonize that. Uh, but it's special in my heart. Commissioner Baker, who I, I, I sit in his seat, he came in in 92. You came in in 94. What was that transition like at the commission from a, a democratically controlled commission to a Republican commission? And, and really, is there any difference? And should our commission even be partisan in the first place? Yeah, I believe it was. Uh, that, that, that At the time, it was, uh, I guess, when, when many times people would leave the legislature and would get appointments to fill unfilled seats, they were generally long-term serving uh, senators and state reps from different parts of the state. And so in my election, uh, David Baker was elected at the same time I was. And so in one fell swoop, we went to a historically Democratic Public Service Commission for over a hundred years uh, to one that was a majority Republican, and there was a different management style. There was an openness. There was, was there was that transparency that you hear so much about today, and we continued to evolve as a commission. And uh, it, it, I, I thought it was a very positive move. David didn't stay with us long. He probably, he didn't even stay his full term. Uh, but but it set the stage for, I think, what we have now, what you have now. You know, our commission was created in 1879 as the Railroad Commission. And if you think about how that right-of-way, you know, was initially created with those train tracks, and tell our, tell our listeners how these commissions around the country kind of evolved from railroads to all the other stuff. Well, yeah, it was railroads, and I think that the commission still has a little bit with that. It's probably some of our stickiest issues, uh, the most most pronounced. But yeah, it was they were railroad commissions. I think the Texas Commission still has railroad in their name. It continued on with overland trucking. There was stamps, and uh, everybody had to have a stamp and a state, and it was a big fundraiser, a tax issue until the federal government deregulated that. But over time, it evolved evolved to the, 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 the monopoly energy providers, electric, gas, telephone, uh, and it, it became a, a different commission over time. It evolved, and I think that's what the commission continues to do to serve the needs of the public. Recently, Texas had some issues with ERCOT and their grid, and uh, folks have asked me, and maybe they've asked you, hey, what's the difference between Georgia and Texas, and could something like that catastrophically shut down not only our grid but water treatment plants and everything else what are your thoughts on the whole texas debacle compared to what we have in georgia 
That's a very complicated question, uh, Commissioner. Uh, but but clearly, what what's lost in all of this is that was a hundred year storm. It was as devastating as many of the hurricanes that we talk about and flow so easily off our lips, whether it was Hugo or Katrina or others. And and you know, it, it's something that yes could happen anywhere in the country. Uh, the model in Texas was clearly different. They isolated themselves during the era of deregulation where they were Texas and stood alone as opposed to many of the states that combined together. The southern states, the far northwest states, fought against that deregulation battle. And so the Georgia Public Service Commission continues to do it like we did 15, 20 years ago, but continues to go ahead and perhaps keep some additional cost in there. But you protect with a reserve margin for those worst possible days, the worst winter day, the hottest summer days, where there is a reserve margin and that there should be adequate supplies in the system. The Georgia Commission, like many of the southern states, still has a diverse fuel mix. I think that's positive as well. So yes, it could happen. It's less likely than in some of the states where there is a different level of regulatory model that that perhaps serves some of the customers but not all of the customers do you feel like georgia will ever go down that deregulation road it seems like now that texas has had their problems that that's probably cooled any thoughts about doing that but in the future do you see the structure of that grid you know changing here in the south There's always an effort by those that would look to take advantage of the opportunities that they get to to make money in in a new model. And yes, it could could happen. Uh, But I believe that the legislature then, when when Texas and many of the other states had that new model, uh, ultimately the Georgia legislature and many of the southern states, the the Public Service Commission at the time took took the lead along with commissioners from North Carolina, from Mississippi and from Alabama to fight against that, some of the commissioners in, in the far northwest. And and ultimately, our legislatures got on board when our United States senators got on board. Uh, Johnny Isaacson was huge in that, to go ahead and say, we have a model that's been bought and paid for by the ratepayers in our states. We have a good distribution system. It is redundant in many ways. It protects on those hottest days, those coldest days. And and so ultimately, when the governors and the senators in our states got on board, we weren't the lone rangers as public service commissioners with little or no voice in Washington. In 1991, just before you got to the commission, Boyd Pettit, the legislator from Cartersville, took a bill that became the Integrated Resource Planning process that we we still use today in fact uh, to my knowledge it's never been amended and it's it's that plan that's a north star for our commission Uh, it it seems to be working fine it's why i've been against the clean power plan it's why i've been against the green new deal i mean you were just getting started with that and you may have been in that first kind of psc class to implement that was that a was that a learning curve for you guys back then Absolutely. And credit to Boyd. Uh, it was it was a visionary call. Many of the other states embraced uh, a model like that to go ahead and pl- have a look in the future what it's going to be. It's one that we did every three years. And it was tough at the time because our staff was learning how to do it. And again, you know, you and I give great credit to the Georgia Commission staff because of their I mean, they labor in the trenches. There's a, they're a relatively small staff. They were learning a new model on how to project and the IRP so that we would have the energy that we need in the future on uh, for, for all needs. And it's something that you look at every three years, and it takes a great deal of time and effort and resources at the commission. Really, I, I, I describe it, uh, because I'm from the nonprofit world, I describe it as a strategic plan that you update every three years. And I, I guess before that, uh, Commissioner Wise, uh, the power company basically built things on spec, hoping to get reimbursed. And this, I guess, this regulatory compact that the IRP ushered in, 
it it gives them more assurance, less risk, but it also gives you, me, as a commissioner, more say, right, in how things are done. Absolutely it does. And at the same time, you get a look back. Were we right in the, the plan that we agreed to three years ago or six years ago? Did we make the right decisions? Did the company project appropriately? Did our staff review and, and approve and support uh, what we were going to do. And so it's very beneficial. And, and of course, there's always people that say, well, you shouldn't have that such be a, such a big reserve margin. You shouldn't have those extra supplies in the marketplace. But again, nobody's projecting those coldest days in February or those hottest days in August and until they're there. And then clearly, as you've seen in Texas, the fallout comes to the regulators. Uh, the governors aren't blamed as much, and ERCOT has blamed some, but the Public Service Commission in Texas, I mean, they've got some, some rapid turnover there because of the finger pointing in this, and, and, and it's just one of those suicide drills where everybody gets shot. I mean, nobody's got a crystal ball, but clearly we learned from that polar vortex in 2014, and then right before you left, Georgia Power came and said, hey, winters are getting colder. As we wrap up this first segment here the the learning that we have the reserve margins that we created i mean even though we may be wasting money on lots of days of the year to have it when we really need it it is important to have it isn't it it is and i'd forgotten the polar vortex and really how close we came uh to to an, an energy crisis so yeah absolutely well when we come back i want to talk to commissioner wise about the future uh, what what is what is the grid going to look like in the future what role with will renewables have will small modular reactors and advanced nuclear reactors be a thing in the united states or is it just going to be in asia stick around this is tim eccles you're listening to energy matters Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. GasSouth believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, Tim Eccles, back on Energy Matters, on the road with my former colleague, Commissioner Stan Wise, originally elected to the commission 1994. I had the privilege of sitting by him up uh, on the dais uh, as we made decisions that impacted our grid. And we're going to talk in this segment about the future um, and hard to predict. But in a way, in a way, Commissioner Wise, that's what our voters are hiring us to do, aren't they? Amen. Uh, it, it is. And, and it is evolving marketplace. And just like everything else, whether it's with any kind of technology, we're seeing different issues. And you'll continue to face those in your career. So it is, it's, it's a difficult thing. And it's, as you said, uh, it, there's a lot of different energy sources today. You know, as you think about 
nuclear reactors. I mean, America is getting most of its clean energy from, from, from nuclear energy. It's been stunning to me that states like Vermont, Massachusetts have closed perfectly efficient reactors uh, only to then pick up a fossil fuel, uh, which seems to go against their whole mission or their goals. Do you feel like that there's going to be some kind of public opinion change in America where blue states decide that advanced reactors aren't the devil that they thought that the bigger reactors were? Or is it just going to be more of the same? No, I I think the fuel diversity issue in our state and what we've done with the next generation of nuclear power is going to benefit this state for the next hundred years. And, And many states, and you're hearing it from leaders in Washington. There is some talk. Now, they're talking about the smaller modular reactors. But you need to talk about baseload. You need to talk about nuclear power to support that next generation of renewable power, one that that you've been a part of almost from the day you walked in the door at the Public Service Commission. And so if if we're going to have that intermittent renewable source from, from wind, from sun, from, from water, uh, we're going to have to have that base load. It's not going to be coal. It's going to be less and less natural gas. And so where do you get it? And it has to be nuclear power. Last week, we featured a gal who had written an article about uh, the beneficial use of coal ash. And you and I think about the, the Portland cement that our coal ash, our fly ash goes into. But these rare earth elements, and we get most of our rare earth elements from China, they go into phones and other things. But uh, the article talked about taking about five tons of coal ash to create about a Coke can worth of rare earth elements. But it seems like with all the coal ash that we have, We've got a lot of time to develop these other uses, and our ratepayers are paying a lot for us to, quote, tend to this coal ash. I mean, where do you see the whole coal ash thing going in the future? Will we eventually just use it all in cement? Well, what a great opportunity that would be. And again, that takes us back to the opportunities that technology takes to the marketplace. I still believe there's some 20-year-old that's in his garage. He's the next Bill Gates. Uh, he's the next Elon Musk. And, and, and that technology will drive this. So much has happened in the last 10 years, 20 years. Something could happen within the next two or three years that allows us to take advantage of these residual uh, you know, waste issues. You've been, again, you've been a champion of something to do with nuclear waste Again, from, since the time began, whether it was recycling or reprocessing. And again, I believe that's going to help the next generation of modular reactors. So technology drives it. Co- coal ash, nuclear waste, batteries, uh, all of these things are going to be significant uh, for what you do in the future. One of the big decisions that we're going to have next year in our IRP is deciding whether uh, a plant like Plant Bowen in Cartersville, Georgia, Unit 1, which is becoming uneconomic to run, whether or not to keep it going and keep all the jobs that are there or to switch over to solar plus batteries, something like that, to to replace that. And I, I know in meeting with the union leaders here in Georgia, they book about 2 million man hours at that plant. They don't want to see Plant Bowen Unit 1 go away. But is it just a foregone conclusion that coal is going to go away in America? I hope not. Uh, I, I think we've made such great efforts to clean our air, to, to spend considerable ratepayer money to scrub, to clean, to contain uh, the, the air particles and the issues that we have. Uh, you know, when you and I served together, we had some, some coal plants and we had public input from, from around the state, Milledgeville specifically, uh, that's a very difficult issue for those communities. Georgia Power is good partners in those neighborhoods. They're, they're good paying jobs. They pay taxes. 
Uh, and it's going to be, it's, I don't envy you in what you and the commission have to do when you consider the future of plant Bowen and the other coal plants in our state. Let's switch over for a second to another area that we talk about at the commission. And we have a telecom committee. We deal with telephone issues. And recently our commission made a decision about Pole attachment fees for EMCs and what that what they could charge, what the terms and conditions were, in an effort really to help move connectivity, especially in unserved areas, forward. And you mentioned Elon Musk, and he's got his own rocket, and, and they're launching low speed, uh, low orbiting satellites, not low speed satellites, but low low orbiting satellites. I mean, where do you see this connectivity issue? Going, I mean, it seems like Commissioner Wise that it is, it is the issue of the day. Just like electrifying America was the issue in the last century. Yeah, and again, that's something that I I followed the, the not closely, but that the commission had to deal with. The legislature uh, again uh, transferred the responsibility to the Georgia Public Service Commission for uh, a decision, and it was clearly one that uh, that that involved telecom broadband. Uh, cable that has it not been it's been unprecedented in in since the deep the breakup of the bell system 20 years ago uh, so i i think that that'll continue to evolve i think the commission will continue to get input from the legislature on how to deploy and what happens so uh, nobody knows what these low orbiting satellites are going to do uh but I mean, it's in my lifetime. I think I had my first cell phone in, in 1988. I mean, it wasn't that long ago I was carrying around a bag phone. Uh, you know, and of course, and I paid a great deal for it. And today we have, it, it's unbelievable what we can do with our phones. And so it's going to be something that continues to evolve. It may not happen at the pace that the legislature would like or rural Georgia, uh, but it's going to happen. After college, I went to work for Beaudry Ford at the corner of Piedmont and Ellis. And I worked my way up, you know, from a salesman. I was uh, then the commercial sales manager. And in 1985, I went to my boss, Harmon Bourne, who owned the dealership. And I said, Mr. Bourne, we, I need for my three salespeople to put a car phone, a Motorola car phone, in that car. Uh, it was $1,200 plus the install fee to put the thing in and 35 cent a minute. And you couldn't take the thing out like you could with your bag phone. And at the time, it was like unheard of. And it, it just gave my salespeople just a new opportunity to be sitting at an inter- intersection and to see a, a plumbing truck or a termite truck with a phone number on it and then be able to call right then and there. But to your point, wow, have we really come a long way with telecom? Absolutely, we have. It's just a remarkable change. And, and you know, there's been the failure of some companies because they didn't keep up with the technology or they didn't develop the technology. And that'll continue to happen. Uh, you're, you see it in the solar business today. There are providers that were here 10 years ago, eight years, five years ago that aren't here today. Uh, And it's going to continue to evolve. Technology is a beast. It is a cruel beast. It's a cruel beast that puts people out of business. As we wrap up here in this last minute or so, what do I need to be looking at in the future? What do our listeners need to be paying attention to, you know, as we move forward? I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> you know what? Uh, as, as I told you before, you you keep your hands plugged into so many different things. I have no doubt that you are probably more aware of what's coming in the future uh, than than anybody that I know. So good luck. I had a chance to visit with uh, visit with uh, Craig Lesser over in Peachtree Corners. They have something called the Curiosity Lab. And there are so many of our cities that are doing very innovative things, just taking it on their own to do things like that. And I know you work with him and the Pendleton group, and you guys are out there consulting, whether it's a city or a county or companies, on really how to be shrewd, wise, incorporating these things. Uh, I mean, is that something we're going to see more of? I think so. 
and 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 there's always there there's visionaries everywhere uh and they could be city councilmen mayors county commissioners uh governors that that are looking for that next great innovation that great next step it doesn't have to be huge steps they can take baby steps cities are are restricted by their budgets so it's it's going to happen it'll continue to happen and that that's that's the word for the day baby steps don't be afraid to take baby steps because politics really is about incremental change commissioner wise thanks for being on the show today commissioner eccles i'm glad to be with you hey this is tim eccles stick around you're listening to energy matters Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMW Auto Sales. Welcome back to Energy Matters. Support for Energy Matters comes from Arnold, Golden, and Gregory. For nearly seven decades, Arnold, Golden, and Gregory has established a strong record of helping growing enterprises become industry leaders. Today, their team of attorneys who practice in more than 25 areas of law continues to expand AGG's reputation for helping public and private companies successfully grow their businesses. AGG is committed to staying on the leading edge of new developments that affect clients, industries, and business strategies. They're ready to help a new generation of emerging companies achieve success. We appreciate their weekly support of Energy Matters. Great. Thanks, John Knoll, my co-host, former state representative resident of Atlanta. In the studio with us uh, also is Justin Breitharp. He's the Associate Project Manager for the Center for Transportation and the Environment. Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be back. And also in the studio, uh, Cyrus Bedwar. Cyrus is the Policy Director for the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance, and it's great having you chime in uh, here today. Great to be with you today. Yeah, Yeah, thanks. Energy efficiency is such an important part of energy plants and planning and uh, we want to make sure that we're continually talking about that so we want to include your voice on this john you've got energy efficiency stuff done at your house oh man what are some things you've done well, what, you remember that soup Nazi stuff? I mean, the guy was really draconian on everything. I'm that guy. I'm the Nazi on energy efficiency. I, I normally everything. don't like to say the word Nazi, like, ever in any kind of context, but right. what does that mean, soup Nazi? <laughs> it means uh, just somebody who's very uh, uh, certain and doctrinaire about things. So you've got batteries? you got those Tesla batteries? Man, I, I'm sitting here looking at the update right now. So, sun's out in Atlanta. House is juicing up, yeah. completely off the grid. Yeah, so you've got uh, solar panels. Solar panels. Yeah, you collect your rainwater. I collect the rainwater. I collect the dehumidification uh, water out of the basement. And uh, when the air conditioner's running, I'm I'm watering plants from it. Wow. Well, let me go back to Justin. Uh, Justin, you work for the Center for Transportation and the Environment. And I know that the city of Atlanta is making a lot of progress. You had spent time as a fellow for the city and working on electric vehicles, the electric vehicle fellow. So how important was that experience in Atlanta uh, in the mayor's office to preparing you uh, for your job today? Um, It was very critical. So uh, my degree was in environmental geosciences, so I didn't really have any background. Where did you go to school? Georgia State University. Uh So I'm a proud Panther, although I do respect UGA. Um, <laughs> wow, you're, you're a politician too. You're covering yeah, all the bases. Yeah, here. <laughs> you're actually inside the bulldog bubble, and everything's red and black here. I hate to tell you, but that's okay. Uh, it's we'll, fine. Yeah. The gentleman has a red sweater on. Yeah, this we'll is give you, we'll give you a else. shout out. Well, 
Uh, CTE, what's the focus and mission of CTE? To improve the transportation sector's efficiency and sustainability. What does so, that mean, like, practically? Practically, so 99% of CTE's portfolio is deploying zero-emission buses. So we work like with it. transit agencies, cities, counties all over the country uh, with four offices, the main one being here in Atlanta, and then uh, three others in St. Paul, Minnesota, Berkeley, California, and Los Angeles, California. Are, are buses the low-hanging fruit for decarbonizing transportation, would you say? Yes. It's, the, um, it's that low-hanging fruit. Just about every jurisdiction has that. Even within the state of Georgia, we have uh, Carta serving North Georgia. We have Macon, mm-hmm. um, Savannah, and so, and not to mention Serta and Marta. And so, by targeting those buses, it's confined. You can do great uh, research because CT also focuses on research and simulations with these deployments. And so, when uh, when these agencies or cities come to CTE, they get data we they get um research and they we let them know is this feasible is this going to work for you and we'll say yes or no depending on what the data finds yeah i mean marta's hmm. already converted all those buses to natural gas are y'all recommending that they get yeah. out of the natural gas or wait till the license expires on the on the engines and then replace them or what what's the, what's the plan with marta good don't, question don't yeah. they have hundreds of buses well right and i'm not sure if ct has a um like a big active project with MARTA, but what we would do is we would work with MARTA to see what their current fleet is. Because I believe MARTA does that with 75% CNG. It's huge. And so, and I think we should recognize that. That's still low emission. Mm-hmm. But um, what CT would do is look at the rest of the fleet, see how compared it's to the CNG. It's also high cost, though. I mean, it's, it's, it's very cap, capital intensive. Right. And I, and, and it's a, you have to look at all the parameters. Mm-hmm. And when uh, so CG would go in, look at these uh, the rest of the fleet and see if it meets the operational needs, which routes work. And so um, I mean, and that's what we do. We will go to the the fleet. We will ride on their buses with what we call these GPS data loggers. There's an app on the iPhone called Bad Elf, B A D E L F. Oh my God, that's hilarious! And we will go through. It will tell us um, altitude, speed throughout, and it takes it by second by second. And we filter through that data all the routes and then that's how we let you know by doing simulations if that route is feasible based off of a spec that you already have or current electric um, zero emission buses that are on the market. Yeah, so you mentioned the phrase, will it work? I mean, is that part of what you learn when you work for the city of Atlanta, that whole will it work device, those gizmos? Tell us about those gizmos and how that work that y'all put in the car to determine whether this service car or this service truck could be replaced with an electric vehicle. Uh, so you're referring to, um, so when I was at the city, when you're doing zero, zero emission vehicles, you have to work really closely with your, the electric utility. And so for the city of Atlanta, that's Georgia Power. Um, Georgia Power has a service, uh, Will It Work? And we also utilized um, a service through the Electrification Coalition, who funded my position at the city. And uh, to determine with the department of it was think with the department of watershed which vehicles were good candidates to mm-hmm. transition mm-hmm. to electric vehicles um that data was very critical and it's actually still being used today on the doe grant that cte is managing that the city of atlanta is a part of so what installations have the capability to be able to charge lots of big vehicles because you got to have all that capacity at whatever service location that these vehicles are at and then you got to find out that those vehicles are actually able to only do the 150 miles of range that they might have or something like that is that the idea right but with the one of the the will it work was which gas vehicles would be good candidates Uh, yeah and so um there are about 50 vehicles and 40 of those were selected as good candidates why not why not trash trucks trash trucks make a little more sense they can handle batteries well there's no not really a lot of existing zero emission trash trucks right now that's more of a cng market Oh. And so, actually, DeCab is a good um, is a good uh, case study for it. So, their fleet manager uh, Robert Gordon, he lo- his tag is from trash to gas to cash, because DeCab County will take the methane from their landfills, use it straight into their trucks. So they're already we got to have that guy on. That'd be cool. So much money yeah. saved right there yeah. using um, something that's 
I, I don't know how local you can get than using the landfill already there. Right. So he picks up the trash, dumps it in the landfill. Landfill creates the gas. He burns the gas. Yes. That's and, what and I'm talking about. Money. Yeah. yeah. So, so let me turn to Cyrus here uh, just for a quick second. I know that, you know, you're not necessarily focused on electric vehicles per se, uh, but you guys have a lot of folks in your organization driving mm-hmm. electric vehicles. You do talk about it. Do you see it as kind of a a sister technology going with energy efficiency? How does it relate to energy efficiency? Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I learned about electric vehicle drivers is that they become more conscious of their energy use, right? Because they have that more Bingo. finite yep. range uh, that they have to be cognizant of. They have fewer options to recharge than uh, gas combustion uh, engine drivers. Um, so they become more aware of their energy use. And, and we have found that that translates into their home. They become more aware of their home energy use too, so that helps with efficiency for sure. Yeah, so you know, I often say about these electric vehicles, and Justin, you've heard me say this at conferences we've been at, that they're a tutor, that they teach people about energy management. I mean, how important, Cyrus, is it to think about energy, uh, you know, in order to save money? Is it can can you just wait until the bill comes, or do you feel like it requires a little more effort than that? I think we are at a, a place where uh, you still do have to do that, um, but it's clear that there's emerging technology to help uh, customers with that and to make it more uh, uh, thought-free. So, you know, John was looking at his phone to understand what was going on in his home. We're all glued to our phones uh, 24/7 these days, and uh, so more and more apps are providing consumers with information about how they're consuming energy and enabling them to make decisions about and one that. free one i've noticed is george power they, they'll just send you a little email every day and say what's your energy consumption right. the day before and you can go gosh start that hair dryer burn too long right but my my nest app right you know i can if i leave the house uh i can uh, i can turn that thermostat down if i've forgotten to do it before i leave so that's that's real time well justin just in this last uh few seconds of this segment let me ask you about you know, maybe a final lesson that you learned uh, from the city of Atlanta that you feel like you've carried into your new job? Um, a lesson that I've learned and I think that still learning is effectively communicating environmental issues and solutions. It seems that when you talk about the environment, it's, it has this negative connotation now, mm. but we all utilize it in some form of fashion. I think what ways that we can learn from it is finding those connections with people within their own personal lives to actually come up with good solutions that tackle this global issue that we're fighting, which is climate change. You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm your host, Tim Eccles. And when we get back, I'm going to ask Justin to talk about the experience that we had in the cab line down at the Atlanta airport as we evaluated the types of vehicles that came in and out of the city and what we learned about uh, about the possibility for electric vehicles picking up with ride-sharing cabs in the future. Stay tuned. You're listening to Energy Matters. Energy Matters would like to thank GasSouth for its support of the show. GasSouth has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per-therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. GasSouth, the difference is good. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com. ev-hybrid.com. 
This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, your host. We want to help you save money. We want to help you use technology and live a more sustainable lifestyle on this show. In the studio with me, my co-host, John Noel, former state representative, and uh, knows all things about energy, having batteries and solar and electric vehicles. And Justin Breithart, uh, who's the uh, associate project manager for the Center for Transportation and the Environment in Atlanta. And Cyrus Bedwar, policy director for the Southeast Energy Efficiency Alliance. Good to have you guys back. Let me start with Justin. Justin, as I promised in our last segment, I want our audience to hear about this experience that you and I had down on the sidewalk outside of uh, the uh, terminal, kind of facing the the cab line and the West Economy parking lot. Uh, you know, what did we what did we do, and what did we learn about the the cab fleet for Atlanta? Yeah, so we. I think you picked me up from City Hall. We drove down to the airport, and we stood outside. It was pretty nice out, so it wasn't too bad. And counting taxis, counting what the make and model was, how many mm. passengers were getting in. And the idea behind this was, I believe you were telling us, because you, I think you went to Portland, and they had an electric taxi program. And so we were trying to see if that was possible here in Atlanta. I think we counted about over 100 taxis. But 50% vans, 18% Crown Victorias, some older vehicles, 1.7 passengers per vehicle. Uh, and I, and I, want to re, I want to point out the one thing, I don't know if you remember this, but there was one gentleman when he was waiting, he actually waited for a hybrid. I think it was a Toyota Prius that pulled up. So he actually went in the line he, and he waited till one came in. And out of those 115 vehicles, there were only three Priuses out of 115 vehicles. And actually it was... It was not only Portland, but Seattle. Seattle mm-hmm. City Council had changed their law and said that if you were picking up at the airport in a cab or a rideshare, that it had to be at least a hybrid or better. And so one of the things that I really want to accomplish you know, as a leader, even though it's not in the PSC's jurisdiction, John, is to see this happen in Atlanta. You want to advocate yeah. for, for good stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, uh, I don't know. Have you been to you been to Seattle, uh, or have you yeah, ever ridden yeah. in a, a hybrid cab? I or? have actually been to Seattle, and a, oh, surprise of surprises, great public transportation from out of the city. And reading press recently that that talked about uh, the natural gas conversion that occurred years and years ago of that fleet, and of this uh, of this of this of this decree by the city that said, hey, all the contracts we're going to have are only going to allow uh, picking up. Uh, of long-range vehicles. So it doesn't have to be an electric vehicle, but it has to be a high-efficiency vehicle. You have to meet this threshold. Yes. And people aren't doing it here in Atlanta, and I think it's an easy step that the city of Atlanta could do. I, I'm, gl- I'm glad you made the point. I think it's incumbent on private citizens, not just public ones, to, uh, to advocate for that. You know, I, I had a cab company, Atlanta Checkered Cab, an old cab company in Atlanta. I was able to get two Nissan Leafs donated to them. They were 2012s. They had them wrapped uh, in green, uh, and they attempted to integrate those into their cab activities. And it was it was very difficult. And they didn't run them at the airport because those 2012 leaves had the low battery, uh, in the sense that it was a smaller battery mm-hmm. than the 13. And they those cabs only had a range of about 50 miles, so it just wasn't feasible. But one of the things that we tried to do uh, as as those vehicles were donated and we tried to get other cab companies, was asking the city if they would allow those cars to be painted green or a different color to designate right. Right. Uh, so that a, a, a fare there waiting to get in a car could go, oh, no, I, I, want that, I want that electric car. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we've struggled with that, Justin. Didn't we, uh, being able to get the city to make these changes, I mean, do you think it, you know, Atlanta's just not ready for this yet? Or, I mean... You know, what, what's it going to take for us to be able to make that kind of change, you think? Um, it's a political process, and I think what we can do on our end is education. And 
and I think it's important to note the the reason why we were doing this is so the Atlanta metro area is a non-attainment for NOx NOx emissions, and those emissions come from vehicles, and. And that's part of the reason why we do this. And those emissions contribute to poor air quality. They contribute to asthma problems. And and I think that's why we, we have to make sure we educate people why we're doing what we're doing um, and help come up with solutions and ideas, not just say, well, this is what we should do, actually be through every step of that process to make sure that it's, it's efficient, it's cost effective, it's good for the environment, and that it benefits all people. You know, John... He mentioned political process, and I mean, you've been in the legislature, I'm an elected official, and you know, some people are cynical about the political process. They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't see the incremental aspect of it. I mean, you've been there. Does it still discourage or you know, uh, exasperate you that things can't be just snapped and changed, uh, or is this just a reality? Yeah, it exasperates me, and uh, that's why I... Have stood and will stand in in the future for election because I think it's important to beat people. If 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 you're if you're a potential candidate as I am and will be and that kind of thing and other people may just want to advocate for the back sidelines. Let's go beat or in Justin's case advocate for the people who are standing in the way. Advocate advocate to them that they should change that policy or if they won't change that policy, go whip them in the polls. You know. One of the one of the reasons that I love the fact that we have lots of cities and lots of elected city councils and lots of elected mayors and that even our offices like Public Service Commission, Insurance Commissioner, Labor, Labor Commissioner, all these are elected positions. Mm-hmm. I've heard people call for these things to be appointed, but I, I, I will always favor uh, having these as elected positions because people are able to throw people out if they're unhappy. That's the beautiful thing about a democracy, and as you, we were speaking in an earlier segment, I just got back from China, and everything they would say was, well, the government has decided. The government has this. The government has that. And they, 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 they love their country. They hate their government. They can't even vote for government. I left my Georgia sticker, my election sticker, on my coat and walked around because I wanted people to be able to see, what's that? Well, I actually vote for my representatives. Wow. Cyrus, let me go to you. Uh, Justin used this word "nox," and uh, and I mean you're the resident scientist in the room here, so we're gonna we're gonna ask you about nox, about what it is and why it's bad. Yeah, nox is uh, short for nitrous oxide. It's one of the uh, EPA's six criteria pollutants. And uh, did you say nitrous or nitrogen? Uh, nitrogen oxide. Yeah, I'm nitrogen sorry. oxide, um, and it's one of the six criteria pollutants uh, that Justin was referring to, uh, created by uh, internal combustion engines. Infernal combustion engines. Yeah. Uh, no comment. Um, <laughs> um, and it's you know my personal experience with this. I moved to Atlanta in 2003, and we were in the depths of. Uh, our low air quality, our poor air quality. I yeah. came from uh, Delaware, which is a very suburban place and didn't have a lot of that Hoity sort of pollution. Um, well, you know, uh, but nice. I felt it. I felt it personally. I felt it. I felt it personally. I would in July, there would be a week when I couldn't talk. I would just cough. The, oh the entire Lord. week, wow. because I was adjusting to the different air quality here in Atlanta, and it has gotten better. Wow. It, we are making progress with that. And I think wow. uh, electric vehicles and electric transportation are going to be the next step we take in furthering uh, the progress. Do you think that decision to convert <coughs> plant McDonough, which was a 500 megawatt coal plant there mm-hmm. in Vinings, not too far from your house. It was right, across the, yeah. right yeah. across the river from my house. How, how important, yeah. Cyrus, do you think it was in terms of air quality, closing that plant that ran continually, mm-hmm. converting it to to clean natural gas? Yeah, absolutely. That I mean, coal is also another source of these pollutants. Um, and so we're, we're taking a lot of steps here in the metro area. Uh, so converting power plants, uh, which we've seen a wave of and we discussed in an earlier segment, uh, to cleaner burning fuels or zero emitting fuels uh, is really important uh, yeah, to well, Atlanta. So a little bit of drill on that one. That yeah. was a 500 megawatt coal. Bad. No question. And it was an old plant. Worse. But this new one was like 2,000 or 3,000 megawatts. So we just... 2,500. 2,500, boom. 2,500 megawatts, so you five-fold increase. What's the net emissions difference, though? Is, like, is, that a, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, so if, if you will go to my Twitter feed at Tim Eccles, I'm having a discussion with some folks about that, okay. actually, Great. about that particular plant and about, uh, and actually the folks, uh, you know, in the conversation are with the Sierra Club 
uh, one of their officers over in Alabama. So we're kind of discussing discussing that. So if you want to know more, I'd invite you to our uh, to my Twitter feed at Tim Eccles. John, what's your Twitter feed while we're on this? Uh, at New Energy Guy. Yeah, Justin, mm-hmm. how about how about you? Mine is J S T N Bright Harp. Bright like the sun, harp like the musical instrument. Okay, we withdraw right, the question. Cyrus, how about uh, where are you at on Twitter? <laughs> I am at Cyrus Homie, H-O-M-I. Whoa! On Twitter. Yeah. You're my kind of homie. Yeah. So, you know, John, you just got back from China just in our last in our last uh, minute here. There are a lot of uncontrolled plants over there. All of our plants in Georgia have pollution yep. controls on them. But oh, yeah. when you look at a coal plant in China, you see a lot of particulate matter coming out Well, you don't have to look at the coal plant. Yeah. I, I'm not kidding you. The first time I ever landed in China was in Shanghai. It was an overcast day. Somebody picked me up and I said, oh, is, it, is it overcast like this a lot? I mean, I thought it was rain was imminent. They said, no, this is like this all the time. And it happened in Shenzhen just the other day. I couldn't believe it. I was like, rain's coming, right? It's overcast, rain's coming. It was smog. Wow. Well, we're making improvements in it in Atlanta, certainly. And as we tee up things at the Georgia Public Service Commission, we... We do every three years. We plan out our our energy portfolio for for the next twenty years. IRP. Yep, the IRP. Well, this has been a great episode. We appreciate you tuning in. We'd love to have you follow us on Twitter. Just use a hashtag Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles, the host of your show, and we welcome you to join us uh, each week as we talk about technology, as we talk about saving money, and we talk about ways to make your life more sustainable. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com. Solarsunworld.com.